the biggest issue I think is the medical system generally is a lot like the Titanic. It's the biggest, it's the best, and it has some of the best technology on the planet and just has incredible people, a lot of really good people, but it's sinking, right? And that's kind of the idea. It's sinking because the medical system has little to do with health and not a lot to do with care. So the idea of it being a healthcare is a misnomer. It's more of a disease treatment system. So the question is, what does it take to get back to health? So what I do in through the book is I go through the principles or how do we understand the principles that make up health? The idea being what's super important is not just to understand the latest biohack, which could be really cool, but how can we actually rewire our brain to understand what health is? Because I think if we do that, then we can understand why those biohacks are helpful or important, make sense, and why they actually work. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. June is Men's Health Month, and as part of our feature this month, we're going to bring in a few medical professionals to discuss health challenges that affect men. Here are a few statistics to kick us off. Did you know that men are 24% less likely to visit the doctor for regular checkups? All you had to do was ask me. I have to tell my husband. Each January, I get my checkup, and so do you. Heart disease is also still the primary killer of men. But perhaps a lesser known fact that we also covered in last week's episode is that suicide is the number two killer of young men. This means that now more than ever, we really do need to focus on not only our physical health, but our mental health. And so today I am going to be joined by Dr. Jeff Crapin to discuss this and learn more about how he integrates these sorts of practices into his everyday as he serves men and women in his community. Now I'm going to go ahead and bring him right up in the interest of time, but also just remind everybody here that as it stands, anything that you hear today is for educational, informational, and perhaps entertainment purposes only. We are not here to treat, diagnose, cure, or otherwise augment your health. If you do have a specific health condition that is troubling you, you really need to be working with someone. Perhaps that could even be Dr. Jeff. Welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you, Corinna. Pleasure to be here with you and your audience. Yeah, I have to ask, did I pronounce your name correctly? Was it Creepin or Crippin? Crippin, yep. Crippin, I got it wrong. I was half in one hand, half dozen in the other. What do you say? And somebody had written it in the pronunciation field and I was like, I'm not sure if that's right. So I'm glad I asked. All good. All good. Okay. Well, as we discover more about you, I just wanted to first let you share in your own words, what brought you into this world of natural health? Because really you have a long story that starts when you were at the young age of only six years old. So tell us a bit about what got you into health and nutrition in the first place and why you're so passionate about this. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for that for that question, for the opportunity to be here with you and your audience. So yeah, like you said, it started when I was six years old and it started pretty innocuously. It started with a headache. Uh, I would have been about first grade at that time. And you know, you have a headache and kind of comes and it goes and kind of continue on with life. And then 
the headache comes back and then they come back a little more frequently and then they started getting a little more severe. So I did, or really my parents did at that age, what we knew to do, which is you go to the pediatrician and the pediatrician, you start with children's Tylenol or children's Motrin or children's Advil or all of those as you kind of work through it. And then the headaches continue to get worse. So you eventually start on, I started specifically on ibuprofen. We started to get on, graduate to prescription pain relievers. Uh, and as the headaches continue to progress, you start reaching and looking for more answers and eventually ended up at a neurologist and eventually a neurosurgeon. And part of that is progressively worsening headaches in a child that don't respond to traditional pain relievers is a red flag symptom, meaning, hey, something bad could be going on here, right? They're looking for a mass or they're looking for a tumor or they're looking for an infection. So, you know, after a couple of years in this journey, that's what happens. So they recommended I get a CT scan. They found something in my brain, didn't know what it was, did an MRI, and eventually found it to be a benign, so non-growing, non-cancerous mass in my brain. Did, a, you know, roughly a dozen MRIs over the next 10 years to make sure it wasn't growing. And it turns out it wasn't. So they talked about brain surgery to remove it as a nine-year-old or eight-year-old when they talked about brain surgery and they said they didn't want to do it. I was a little disappointed at that time thinking if that was the cause of the headache and that was going to take it away, you kind of get excited that there's an answer, that there's a finally a something two, three years into that journey. That So I was hopeful, obviously looking back on that, I have a little dis- different perspective on that and probably grateful I didn't go that route or the doctor didn't recommend it. But that's how it started. Yeah, well, especially now you're talking about how many years ago, and there have been a lot of advancements in how they take out tumors now. I mean, a lot of times they're going through the nasal cavity, or depending on where it is in the brain, they might have to cut through the scalp. But often, they're able to do glioma removal through the nose, which is just incredible. Yeah, the amount of technology in the medical system is honestly, it's breathtaking. I mean, the amount of technology and knowledge and innovation in that system is just incredible. Mine was in the occipital lobe, so kind of right by the back of the head. Not through the nose. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I never got to the point of, I don't remember talking about it. I remember kind of thinking about how they would do it. I don't know if it's what he said. But, you know, they didn't end up doing it. Did a whole bunch of MRIs, like I said, to confirm it wasn't growing. But even at that time, I never quite understood how that could be the cause when sometimes the headaches were on the left side of my head and sometimes they're on the right side of my head and sometimes they pulse. Sometimes they throbbed and sometimes they were constant and sometimes they were better and sometimes they were worse, right? How could something that wasn't changing be causing a symptom that was constantly changing? So anyway, I spent a few more years going through the medical system and different specialists trying basically cocktails of different drugs to try to figure out basically to help handle the pain. And that it was basically through that system and ultimately maybe frustration on my part or never really getting that headache better that you eventually start looking at alternatives. And that's how I got into more natural healthcare space, but it was a decade plus of pain, (laughs) quite literally and figuratively, that kind of led me there. Well, migraines are quite rare in men. I think often men suffer from what they call cluster headaches and and not migraines. So was this rare, especially in a child that you encountered this? Yeah. So there's different types of headaches, as you're alluding to there, right? The traditional cluster headaches, which typically come in a pattern of really bad for a few weeks to a couple months, and then they may disappear for years, right? They they tend to cluster together, and then there's tension headaches, and then there's traditional migraines, and then there's migraine variants. So there's kind of three main categories of headaches, and then the migraine variant was kind of the other catch-all category. And that's actually what they told me I had when I finally got a diagnosis. There were times where I did get true migraines. But most of the time, I mean, at its worst, I had a headache for about two years. So 
every moment, every day, nonstop for a couple of years. So I always kind of had a background headache is how I describe it. And then sometimes different other headaches would layer on top of that. So sometimes you'd get the nausea, the sensitivity to the light or the sensitivity to the sound or the, the more intense symptoms that are kind of more typical of a traditional migraine that would layer on top of that. The other type, and then, then they also diagnosed it more as a rebound type headache, which was basically at one point it was take ibuprofen every four to six hours when you have a headache. Well, when you take that every four to six hours for years, basically having to detox at, I don't know, this might've been 12 or 13 years old. And they're saying, Hey, you basically have a chemical dependency to some of this stuff. So I think the headaches are this migraine variant. I don't have the stats on it. I think a lot of definitely headaches in general are definitely skewed towards women, including these migraine variants. So now you actually went through and became not only a chiropractor, but a nutritionist. So you're a doctor of chiropractic and a nutritionist. Yep. Certified traditional naturopath is the title. But basically what you said, the part of that that really jumped out to me was the nutrition and the idea of feeding the body and looking deeply at rebuilding organs and rebuilding the body, you know, one organ at a time and kind of how those organs interact with each other and how food is incredibly valuable to that. Absolutely. So when you were getting to the root of your own troubles with this migraine, I mean, what did you ultimately discover was the root of the cause? Was it the tumor at all or was it something else entirely? Yeah, so different levels to answer that question, but I'll kind of start at one point, medical system really pointed to that as saying, hey, this is the cause. Like I said, we did about, uh, must've done a dozen MRIs. And I did, during those 10 years, I did one about 10 years after that, I jumped into a pool in Mexico that was a little too shallow and hit my head. So ended up getting an MRI there. They were a little concerned because these people didn't know that I had a history of, but they found something on my brain. So anyway, it was still there and it looked roughly the same. So 20 years later. So that's really what they pointed to. One radiologist thought maybe I might've had a little stroke before I was born. And that might've been part of that cyst or that mass. The type of cyst it was, was what's called a congenital arachnoid cyst. So it's part of the meninges basically, but basically part of around the brain about the size of a dime in that occipital lobe or the back part of the head. If there's any football fans or specifically college football fans out there, there was a coach of University of Florida and Ohio State. His name was Urban Meyer, and he retired from coaching twice. And he had that similar genetic condition or that uh, congenital, I should say, congenital condition that they think affects maybe 1%, 2%, 3% of the population. So I give you that background or the audience that background to say that's really what they pointed to. What I found in my own life or kind of through my own healing journey is one, as I would first, when I got chiropractic adjustments, that would lessen the symptoms. So it'd take symptomatically the headache from about a seven out of 10 to a four out of 10 or something like that. So it would help handle the symptom, but it, it didn't fully address the cause for me. But where I really started rebuilding my body was with the cardiovascular system. And I started with specific whole food type supplements to rebuild. And for me, that main organ that hit the stress was that cardiovascular system, which can be a system quite commonly implicated in headaches, but that's where it began for me. Well, I know that you've written a bit about your experience too, and even created a book called Timeless Youth. I wanted to talk about a couple of things here because while we may be diving into men's health and men's personal experiences, I think that these topics touch us all and often the sorts of health complaints that a man has will feather right into a woman's life as well. And two of the complaints I hear most frequently from men have to do with energy, right? 
And they will say, I just don't feel as vital, as vivacious, or as energetic as I did 10, 15 years ago. I want my youthful energy back. And then they also connect that story to their feeling of sexual prowess, right? Like, are they also feeling like they can perform in every capacity physically? And so this, of course, affects their relationships, their sense of security. I'm sure as a man, you've also experienced some of this stuff. I just, I would love for you to talk about how you approach these sorts of topics that often come up for men and how you're able to help people with your practice. And even just with your book, if somebody's not able to reach you directly, what can they expect to learn? Sure. That's a great question. Yeah. And you do get these conversations often. As you know, I'm sure you're well aware that conversations, women tend to be a lot more open, as you've alluded to in previous podcasts, and your, your experience with your husband tend to be more open about their health and easier to have those conversations. The men in my practice, most of them, not going to generalize all of them, but most of them tend to come in at least the gentle nudging of a wife or a significant other, or because the wife ends up doing well and they want the husband to be part of it. It's typically how that happens. So as you get into those conversations, so the medical treatment, as soon as you start saying low energy, a little bit of fatigue, a little bit of sexual prowess, as soon as you start saying those words in the medical system, it's a very quick, direct line from there to testosterone replacement therapy, right? And taking whatever form that happens to be in. So that's kind of the medical option to that. And my experience working with patients is those who have done that typically feel great, phenomenal, I had one mentor called it there in the Superman phase for a while for the first three to six months. And then all of a sudden it starts to die off a little bit. The symptoms start to come back, the fatigue, the lack of prowess, and then they up the dose and they feel pretty good again, maybe not quite as great as before. And then it dives off. And then you kind of get in a cycle of increasing the dose kind of going forward. So what I like to explain to patients is what's happening. The question I want to ask that doesn't get asked often and the medical system is, why is your body not making the testosterone? What's going on there, right? Because I think that's the first question and, and that's level one. And obviously the other option could be they're making the testosterone, but it's not free testosterone. It's bound to something called sex hormone binding globulin. So why is it bound up and not being able to be used? So what I think through and what I encourage patients to think through is, so where's the testosterone made, right? So we start looking at what nutrients do we need for optimal testicular function? Another common reason for hormonal issues in men, and especially in women, but definitely in men as well, is the adrenal glands, right? The adrenal glands in a woman are responsible for progesterone production during the first half of their cycle while they're menstruating and largely responsible for that postmenopausal. So often when you see decreased hormonal function, well, where does your body make testosterone and estrogen and progesterone? Where does that come from? Well, ultimately... It comes from cholesterol, right? And fats. <laughs> they just have to do fat. Exactly right. I mean, this is the thing that just gets me so much of the time because it's like we villainize, even if we think that we've outgrown this and we're no longer living in the world of the 80s, I still see lemon heads, the candy labeled as a fat-free food. This is ridiculous. Okay. We all know better. So yes, fat is more nutrient dense, but it also improves satiety. So you feel full for longer. It can be used for energy. Your body needs fat to create hormones in your body, 
cholesterol is a fat. <laughs> like we, we need to do this and we need to eat a variety of foods in order to get the right fats. But the question I had at the tip of my tongue is I was hearing you describe some of these men energy levels coming down, needing to get on testosterone was on one side, okay, we're talking about a sort of male menopause, but that's not really what's happening. What's really happening is that we're living a more sedentary life. We're not eating the right foods. Our energy wanes. We're on our screens all the time, as opposed to actually being physically active. And that impacts our mental health negatively too. And all of these things kind of bind up together to create a situation where our adrenals are overspent. We don't have the building blocks we need. And then suddenly we're going to the doctor to say, I have low energy. And then that could lead to erectile dysfunction later or other issues. So, you know, you've gone through the nutrition work. <laughs> you've done that too. So what are you guiding these men to do? Because simply increasing their testosterone dose time and again, that's obviously just creating a situation where they need more next time, which to me doesn't sound like a solution. Yeah, it can be, but it's not health, right? In terms of it's not rebuilding the body's ability to do that. So let's talk about what naturally tanks testosterone level. And then through that, I think we can get to the answer to your question. So what lowers testosterone? Obesity, 100%, lack of physical activity. So what can we do from that? Working on weight, working on body fat, exercising, and specifically strength training is the single best type of exercise specifically to boost testosterone. So that's... I'm just tossing my head back and forth because I completely agree. It's just, this is the thing that also is perplexing because when you get more testosterone, you're actually able to lift more weight and you'd think, okay, well, if you could just get them to while they're doing that first dose of testosterone and perhaps they're getting it in shots or something like that to also at the same time, add some gym time. They're going to increase their muscle mass. Their muscles act like an organ too and will actually help them create more testosterone. And then they start to actually go in the solution phase. But too often people just want a shot or a pill and then they don't think about the other part. So how do we get them to also jump over that hurdle? Yeah, you raise a good point because it doesn't have to be either or, right? It doesn't have to be either we do it naturally or we take the testosterone from the medical doctor. You can do a kind of a hybrid approach of both. So how do we get them to do that? I think we got to find them. Where I start is with education. And I start with giving them the options. And there are some patients who want that shortcut and they want to feel well, and they're not particularly worried about nine months from now or 18 months from now in two years. And those people, that ends up being a good option for them. And through education, if they understand, I might show them a real simple diagram that, hey, like you said, cholesterol and ultimately fat is a key or maybe even one of the key nutrients to the entire hormonal system for men and for women. And what do we have an epidemic of? Low testosterone, women on hormonal replacement therapy, and low vitamin D. And guess what? All of those are made from cholesterol, the same pathway, which ultimately all come from fat. So you look at cholesterol-lowering drugs. First one was, I think, 1985. They really became popular with the statins in the late 90s. Wasn't it Lipitor, the first one? Was that it? Yeah, Lipitor was the first statin, and that was a huge one. They had some earlier, and there was a different class of drugs. I don't remember which class it was, but Lipitor was the big one and still was like the kahuna in that area. But what it does is, as you know, it poisons specific enzyme called HMG-CoA reductase, which basically blocks the formation of cholesterol, which is good. But also, as you've talked about on other podcasts, fat and cholesterol specifically is absolutely essential for brain function. So you have all of those long-term consequences of that. So if we can get them moving, 
poor sleep and poor sleep quality and ultimately cortisol production will also tank testosterone. So the more stress someone's under, especially from poor sleep, will tank testosterone. Zinc and specifically vitamin D are important nutrients. Zinc is the key mineral in testosterone production. It's also one of the key minerals for insulin production, insulin function, along with chromium. So you look at, that's another kind of a link into that blood sugar and testosterone collection or connection, excuse me. You look at lifestyle choices, you can look at alcohol, you can look at recreational drugs, both of which can can tank testosterone levels. Then you can have, you know, that dysregulation of the hormonal system. We call it the HPA or hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. But basically how well is one part of the hormonal system talking to the other? And then this thing right here that we all have, which I'm holding up a cell phone right there, was at a seminar once and the speaker called it a mobile castration device. Uh, and his point was, uh, yeah. his point was, how... <laughs> I guess don't, don't wear it too close. Is that the... <laughs> exactly? That was the idea. So even the back pocket, the further you can keep that cell phone away from you when it's on the better. And ultimately the reason the testes hang outside the body is they function optimally a couple degrees cooler. So excessive heat whether that's from tight shorts, whether that's from biking, whether that's from sauna use or a lot of heat work can impair testosterone production. So those are the kind of the checklists we look to on the natural side that I kind of help them understand. And then from a holistic perspective, you're certainly looking at, do they have the essential fats they need? Or do they have optimal cholesterol levels? Incredibly important. You're looking at zinc level and then maybe going down a little further into some herbal remedies if we want a little different an additional boost to that, but I kind of start with the foundation, right? And that is those things we just went over. That is what I consider the foundation of men's hormonal health. Now, of course, you don't simply give people testosterone without measuring their levels. So I want to talk for a moment about what kinds of tests you tend to run in people who come to your practice. I wanted to pause for a moment here and actually read a review from your website that I found particularly compelling because I think this can really help people to kind of personalize it, right? Because you deal with a health challenge, you go to see somebody who's a little bit more skilled at understanding lifestyle and nutrients and how your other habits can impact your health, and they're going to be able to help you get on track. So this is a testimonial on your site from a Rigoberto. I just love the name. Okay. And he says, a very important issue for me is health improvements. More specifically, keep myself with a subtle and sustainable energy good quality energy to generate great things and share part of my life with others. I made lots of improvements with Jeff. I changed my mindset in this issue and my body as well. The nutrients were like a shot for me, lots of energy, like the effect of taurina and caffeine and high doses. And then he says, he, 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 he. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to send me all this natural healing and stimulants for a green zone body and that's from Rigoberto A, Energy Levels in Leon, Mexico. So how did you help Rigoberto get there? Yeah, great. So he is a business coach down in Mexico, as you mentioned. And what we did with him was we specifically, we worked with energy levels. So him is just like coaching clients and group coaching calls and, you know, eight, 10, 12, 14 hour seminars is really what he's working for. And some of the key things we did were, in addition to laying the foundation, we worked with adaptogenic herbs. And specifically, we worked, I think, if I'm remembering right, it was uh, Romagna and licorice were some of the key ones we worked on for its adrenal restorative effects. Going to point right there. So it's like adrenal fatigue that you're talking about specifically, right? You're exactly right. Yeah. 
you got it. And then licorice has a bit of a cortisol sparing effect. So it helps with kind of early stage adrenal fatigue can be very helpful, but that's what he was describing. We might've used a little Korean ginseng as well, but those were the key things he worked on. And it was, I think it was the licorice and Romagna that he talked about was kind of that natural caffeine as he called it. Yeah. Natural caffeine. Now, when we interviewed Dr. Donnie Wilson a bit ago, she made specific comments about how often people don't know if it's their adrenals that are shot or if their cortisol levels are actually abnormally high or abnormally low, and the treatments for these things can vary widely. So I'd like to get back to talking about how you test for these things to make sure you're getting the right treatment for the right people. And then the things that work broadly, like omega-3s, I'd like to dive into as well. Yeah, great. So in terms of your first question, as a chiropractor, we don't prescribe testosterone, so we don't put anyone on testosterone therapy. So we'll do some testing on it. So certainly what are the, some of the foundational tests we do? One is, in this case, we look at blood work. Uh, we look at free testosterone. We look at total testosterone. We look at sex hormone binding globulin. Those would be the three key tests I'd look at. So that comes from the blood test side. We'll, if we want to dive deeper into it, we'll also look at what's called saliva testing, which is basically just through your saliva, the free fraction of the hormones is present. So you can do that. The benefit of that is one, it's easy to do. You don't have to poke yourself. But if you want to look at things like adrenals, which is where you went with that question, there's a rhythm, as you're aware, to the cortisol levels of the body. So how can you get a picture of your cortisol level at 6 a.m. is different than noon, different at 6 p.m. and different than just before you go to bed. So rather than having to go to get blood drawn all those, you know, four times a day, you can do it with saliva. So that would be a good way to look at that. And then also with saliva, you can look at the whole hormone pathway. So basically healthy fats, as you talk about, starts with cortisol at the top, and then it kind of goes down and you can look at different steps along the way. Specifically in the case of men, you're talking about testosterone. You can look at DHT, dihydrotestosterone, which testosterone can be converted into. And then you can also look at estrogen levels because sometimes you'll see men after a while taking high-dose testosterone who start to look like women or start to develop man boobs is the technical term for it. <laughs> there might be another term for that too, but I think we all know. There might be a few other ones. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely the less technical term there is. But what you're doing with that is that testosterone is being converted to estrogen. That's why most doctors will prescribe what's called DIM or basically cruciferous vegetables in general are one of the things that can inhibit that conversion among other things. So, And it's really just because they're getting too much testosterone though in the first place. They're, they're being overdriven, right? Exactly. And you haven't solved the conditions that were driving it. See, if the person's low on testosterone to begin with, the body's already either not making it or converting it into estrogen. So if you give them more, you're just going to convert more of it into estrogen. Right. So unless you solve that original problem of what wasn't right, you're really taking a shortcut that's not going to get you where you want to go most of the time. And the final thing that you mentioned was that omega-3 index. And that can be that is something we use in our office. It's something that I find incredibly important. I did my most recent test today. <laughs> I just sent mine off. So it's something that I find and just incredibly important. And I mean, some of the research around omegas is just incredible. I mean, talk about a 20 to 30% decrease in all cause mortality. Um, just from having an omega-3 index at eight versus four, as you know, that's just one of many examples of that. And then connecting it back to the hormonal issues we're talking about and adrenal gland function in general, progesterone, testosterone, estrogen, cortisol, pregnenolone, DHEA, which is largely considered an anti-aging hormone, all of those, aldosterone, a few others, 
all derive from the healthy fats or that cholesterol molecule along with vitamin D. So making sure you have not just enough fat in your body, but the right kind of fats can be very, very foundational to build great health. So I want to stop for a moment and just share with people the offer that Orlo Nutrition has created here. We are such big believers in the need for more omega-3s and perhaps as much of an evangelist as Bill Harris might be about everything that they can do for you, specifically because I have deep knowledge in the space and understand that every single cell in our bodies requires omega-3s, EPA, and DHA to function optimally. And so when we talk about optimal health, what we're talking about is doing things like having a drop in all-cause mortality because we get to the right nutrition. And what has happened in our society today is that omega-3s have been stripped from our food sources. The seed oils that are on the shelf are omega-6s. And I know seed oils get a bad name, but Bill Harris, who's a doctor in the omega-3 space, a researcher specifically that focuses on this, would remind us it's not that omega-6s are a bad fat. They are not a bad fat. So it's just that we don't get enough omega-3. Omega-3 isn't as shelf-stable. That's why it's been stripped out of the seed oils, right? Omega-3s are also not present in terrestrial plants in the bioavailable EPA and DHA form, so we have to go to marine sources. That means fish and algae. But the fish get their omega-3s from the algae they consume. And so what we've done at Orlo is figured out a way to maximize the production of the omega-3s in our algae to do so in the polar lipid form. And when you have the polar lipid form, guess what? It gets right into your cells and tissues much more easily. It doesn't burp back on you or create that fishy reflex. And hey, other algae oils, not just fish oil, will do that too if they're not in the polar lipid form. It's just that it creates an aldehyde byproduct in your stomach and that comes up as a burp. Okay, so we've solved for that. We've given you the polar lipid form. We believe that it can really improve your health. And we know that we've seen this in in product tests. So what we've decided to do with Orlo is to provide two omega-3 index tests as part of a Tested by You campaign. And why this is so critical is not only to get you up to that 8%, but also because we're giving you your baseline and then testing you again after four months of supplementation. These tests aren't cheap. They come at $50 a piece. If you try to get the same medical tests done at your doctor's office, you're likely to be charged double because they like to tack on a premium to everything. So if you don't want to do the Tested by You campaign, okay, fine. You can buy the Omega-3 Index test on our website for 50 bucks, or you can go to Omega Quant directly and buy it for 50 bucks. In both cases, it's their lab that's taking care of it. So you get that research third party. You see the results. And if you subscribe to the Tested by You campaign, You get one test to get your baseline and one test after your fourth month. It's $100 of free tests with a subscription, which already gets 15% off. So that's my soapbox for the day. But I also want to give one offer on top of that. If you use the code TESTNWC for Nutrition Without Compromise, TESTNWC, you will even get an extra 5% off at checkout of the test specifically. So that means that you're getting an all-in discount of 20% off, which is something that you won't see. And heck, $100 thrown in with it. So I'm obviously a big advocate for this. I want people to understand. I want people to take advantage of the offer. It is short-term. And so we're gonna run out of the tests. And when we do, the program ends. So do it now. All right. I won't have to do that again today, Jeff. (laughs) 
Dr. Jeff. I'm sure you want some too. And you sent in your test today. So when you were last getting your results, let's say the last time you got your results, what did they look like? And what, what were your habits at the time? I'm just curious. So yeah, my most recent test was four-ish months ago, five months ago. It would have been right around December is what I remember. So we're recording this in May now. So about six months ago, it's come out a little later. And at the time, my number was high fives. So what I learned through that was one, it wasn't good enough. Two is I live in kind of a smaller town in Texas. So it wasn't easy for me to get good quality fish in the way that I wanted to. Personally, I don't really like cook fish. I don't love sushi is kind of where more where I draw to. I didn't really eat much fish at all. And then I recently done some more omega-3 supplementation, but um, was at a lower dose. So what I've done since then is increase fish consumption as well as increase some supplementation. I'm eager to see that results. So anyway, that was my most recent test. And that's what I'm looking to see an update on to track where am I at compared to where do I want to be with that? Well, I love that because you want to be at the 8%, right? Minimum. Now I'm with you there. I mean, I've obviously been in this space for a long time, but I also have been conducting my own experiment on my body. And so I um, stopped consuming fish about four months ago. Well, four months before I took the last test, which was when I recorded with Dr. Bell. And the reason I did that was because twofold. I mean, really, I just don't believe that our industrial fishing complex is really sustainable anymore. I'm a climate activist. And the more I read about it, the more I'm sure that we don't have a good solution here. I know too much about fish farming and that makes me dangerous. I don't like consuming farmed fish. And while I might go ahead and say, okay, shrimp now and then, or some oysters, the frequency with which I would eat that type of food is really, really low. And so I wanted to see what it would be like if I wasn't consuming any marine sources of omega-3s and just supplemented with our bioactive omega-3s in the polar lipid form, a single dose every day. And my results came back. Bill Harris made me take the test on air. <laughs> and I came back with about six and a half percent, which isn't terrible. But what that also told me, even though I was only taking you know, about 300 milligrams of EPA and DHA a day, which anybody in the fish oil space would tell you is low. But because we have up to three times better absorption than fish oil, it's actually comparable to consuming much more. In fact, it's comparable to doing something like eating fish raw as opposed to eating fish meat, right? And so I'm choosing to now up it from two soft gels a day to three because, again, of my diet and lifestyle choices. I added walnuts to my smoothies in the mornings, so I'm getting more plant-sourced omega-3s. I just wasn't doing that before. I just used the whey protein and a few fruits or, and like, I love to put matcha powder in that. I love it. So like, these were the things I put in and now I'm choosing to also add walnuts and chia seeds. And then I'm doing a chia seed pudding too. So I'm getting some omega-3 sources that are terrestrial based that give me the alpha linolenic acid, but very little of that is ever going to turn into EPA and DHA. And the omega-3 index, that's what they test. They test for your EPA and DHA levels. So I'm probably going to still need to stay at three soft gels a day, at least for my present diet and lifestyle changes. And that's the value of testing because there's an absolute principle in health that's called biochemical individuality, which basically means you're different than I am, which is different than our listeners. 
The term was coined by Roger Williams is his name. He discovered two different B vitamins at the University of Texas, and his brother discovered a third, right? And he wrote a book called Biochemical Individuality, and it helped me understand something that I saw a lot in practice, which how could two people have similar diet, similar lifestyle, and get different results? And what he found is nutrient requirements can vary up to 100x person to person. So the amount of nutrient one person may need versus another can vary tremendously. And then to get specifically to your question, there's a lot of variation. There can be on the conversion of plant-based terrestrial omega-3s into EPA and DHA. And as I would learn, if I've got APOE4 genome type, and apparently we have hampered ability to do that. So just even having one representation of the APOE4 genome type, which is associated with you know, cognitive decline like Alzheimer's and other issues in later life, but perhaps that's also lending into the reason. So there's a genetic component, but then also there's a food component. So the more you learn about nutrition and fats, it's like, okay, omega-6s, they also compete for the same enzymes to break down. And if omega-6s are that much more prevalent in your diet, because that's what's in every single packaged food, then your enzymes are busy breaking that stuff down and can't spend the resources to do it on the omega-3 side. So, I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's not just your individual chemical makeup. It's also your genetics. And then it's also the other factors in your diet. But the fact that we have individual chemistry to me makes so much sense. I'm going to go pick up that book. So I'm going to provide a link to that book with show notes as well, because that sounds phenomenal. I, I want to know more. Yeah, he wrote it probably about, I don't know, I want to say he wrote it in the 70s. But anyway, phenomenal book. And it tells you just from the title what it's about. And you look at not only that, but some people are bigger than others. Some have more nerve, right? So if you're a bigger person, you have more nerves. Be, you need more healthy fats to coat those nerves in the brain. So you just look at even like pregnant women need more of everything, right? Weightlifters need more protein. Well, not everything. They need a lot less of the toxins. <laughs> well, more nutrients, I guess that's what I was saying in terms of protein consumption and iron. Yes, you're right. They need a lot less toxins. Absolutely. But you look at nutrient requirements. Omega-3s are a great example. You know, when a woman's pregnant, the importance of that is incredible. So the needs can go up as you're developing, as you're developing the baby. So like nutrient requirements can vary, not just based on genetics, not just based on lifestyle, not just based, oh, by the way, on digestion and gallbladder function, which are important things for any nutrients, specifically some healthy fats, but you start layering this on top of each other. And anyway, testing ends up being a great option for most people because you can say with confidence, here's the percent that ended up in the cell membrane, specifically in the red blood cells. So you got an average of the last two, three to four months, roughly three months. And, and then you got something that you can know what's individualized for you for dosage. So the stats are pretty clear. I mean, give or take 97% to 98% plus or of all people are omega-3 deficient. So we know almost everyone can benefit from it. But the question you're answering through that testing, which I think is great, is how can I know what's the right dose for me? And then you can kind of experiment and see how that goes. So I love that idea. Yeah. And the reality is at $50 to buy the test and do it yourself on a twice a year basis, it isn't crazy, right? Because at the end of the day, the most expensive supplement you consume is the one you're not absorbing or the one that's actually working against you. And there are cases where people take a product that actually works against them. And so you need to think about these things. For me, I think an individualized approach to supplementation is generally very wise because 
you might have something like an omega-3 that virtually everybody can benefit from, a vitamin D that virtually everybody can benefit from at a certain amount. But too frequently, people who decide they're going to supplement with vitamin D decide to take a lot more of it than they actually need. And then they end up with complications that they didn't expect, like they might end up with a kidney stone, as a for example, which can be a very painful thing. They can end up absorbing too much calcium from the foods they're eating and the supplements they're taking, and it can get into the soft tissues and create other damage, right? So these are things that we need to be aware of. And particular when you're talking about fat-soluble nutrients, going overboard can sometimes be be a bad thing. Really hard to go overboard with omega-3s. I've done it once. I did get to a point where I was taking so much omega-3, and this is 15 years ago or more that if I cut myself shaving, I just could not stop bleeding. And this is just because at a certain point, you're, it's not that it thins out your blood because it doesn't, but your platelets end up getting so slippery. They just can't really get together. And so I would both bruise very easily. So like I run into the doorknob, which is something I do pro- practically every day, right? And I would have like a really bad bruise. So again, it's possible to overdo it. It's very hard to do. And I would say it's probably one in 500 people who who take a lot of omega-3 would ever get there. I just happen to be demonstrating it at trade shows and showing people and saying, look, it doesn't taste fishy and doing all this with the fish oil and took way too much. What can you do? Like, I think I'm the only person other than one other that I know that has ever done that. Yeah. (laughs) So as it stands, I want to be sure that we get a chance to talk a little bit more about your book, Timeless Youth, because we've touched on it with the energy piece, but I haven't had a chance to review this yet. So I would love to get a copy and then invite you back to really talk about your work with Timeless Youth. But I did listen to an episode of another podcast that you guessed on and it sounds really compelling. So I want to give you the opportunity to just kind of give people the one-two punch of what they can expect from the book, where they can get it, any additional resources you'd like to share. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And jump in. So through that journey and through working with patients, I kind of wanted to be able to understand. The biggest issue I think is the medical system generally is a lot like the Titanic. It's the biggest, it's the best, and it has some of the best technology on the planet and just has incredible people, a lot of really good people, but it's sinking, right? And that's kind of the idea. It's sinking because the medical system has little to do with health and not a lot to do with care. So the idea of it being a healthcare is a misnomer. It's more of a disease treatment system. So the question is, what does it take to get back to health? So what I do in through the book is I go through the principles or how do we understand the principles that make up health? The idea being what's super important is not just to understand the latest biohack, which could be really cool, but how can we actually rewire our brain to understand what health is? Because I think if we do that, then we can understand why those biohacks are helpful or important make sense and why they actually work. So one of the principles is what I call the model A principle. And that's basically one size doesn't fit all, right? And the idea comes from the model T, which was sold tens of millions of cars, largely responsible for the assembly line with Henry Ford. And was the single best-selling car ever made for years until all of a sudden it wasn't. And Henry Ford famously said he didn't listen to his customers didn't listen to his salespeople and famously said, if I would have asked them what they wanted, they would have said they wanted a faster horse. So he just ignored what was there and went with what he knew. And through that, and by ignoring all that, 
he made the Model T, which came in any color you wanted, as long as it was black and looked like all the other ones. So he took out all the options to streamline the production of it. And I think that's a lot of what's happening in medical care, where in order for a doctor to sit down with someone and treat them or talk to them and do in a five to 10 minute visit, you have to assume one size fits all, right? And that's a lot what's going on there. And that's what kind of fits into what we did with testing. So in that chapter, that's when I go into more depth on the biochemical individuality and how that applies throughout our healthcare, not just with that, but with things like epigenetics, with things like supplements. And you kind of look at how that principle applies throughout. But what the book is, it's helping someone rewire the brain and look at what's there. Because I wrote this book basically to try to help more people learn from the experience I went through and just set a more positive context for them. And he basically wrote it for the woman who's went to the doctor and they're tired and the fatigue. And the doctor says, well, your blood work looks normal. I'll see you in a year. Or even worse, they gave him an antidepressant or just said, well, can't find anything wrong with you. It's, it's for the people who are in that system and just not quite getting it. So the book is rewiring what is health, separating us from the disease care model, and then understanding what are those principles to make that up so we can supercharge our results and get healthier as quickly as we can. I love that. You're reminding me of a book that somebody I interviewed on another podcast wrote called Sidelined. And I'll include a link to that interview episode with this podcast too, just because I think especially women would appreciate that even if we have spent some of the time today talking about men's health. The book is about is essentially how women often aren't really listened to by their medical doctors. And so their wants, desires, and needs are actually sidelined. We don't necessarily learn to advocate for ourselves. We're told that the doctor knows best. And sometimes we don't listen to our own inner voice saying, but something's really wrong here. Or we find it too challenging to get a second opinion because we don't even know where to start. And so she wrote that book for that individual, for that person. And I think we can all advocate for ourselves a little bit better. Sometimes it means we need to know what our insurance covers and what it doesn't. Sometimes we aren't using the full benefit of our insurance and there's stuff in there that we didn't know we could do. We just rely on our doctors to tell us what we should be doing. I have a key example in my personal history, which is just that I'm hypothyroid. And so my insurance will only cover certain portions of what the required testing is for T3, T4, free TSH, et cetera, for me to get a full bandwidth understanding of how I'm doing. But at this point, after 10 years of being hypothyroid and using a nature thyroid style product, I'm pretty good at assessing when things are off and I kind of know when things are off. I can feel it. And so I think we also need to learn to listen to our bodies and the intelligence and wisdom that comes from within. So if we can do that while also advocating for ourselves and for our partners, getting them to go to the doctor and not being part of that statistic that never goes, then we can be aware of what our health, generally speaking, is and get some better tools to be able to engage and not only have that timeless youth, but I'm going to quote Dr. Joseph Maroon on this one, who did guest on this podcast as well, and who I've known for years. He's a neurosurgeon and the team neurologist for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He says, I want to die young, as old as possible. And that man is now over 80, and he's still doing Ironman triathlons. So he's doing it right. And I want to follow in those footsteps. Absolutely. They had great footsteps to follow there. Right. That's timeless youth, isn't it? 
<laughs> it sure is. Yeah. And as you were talking about the importance of unlocking our own ability to heal, that's why I'll hold the cover up here. But as you were saying it, it's timeless you with a little T and a little H with a play on that word. Yeah. It's like you carry the T and the H. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. With the play on the all healing begins with you or the number one truth in your health is you. So ultimately when you go in to the doctor or any work with any kind of health coach or consultant, they're working for you and you can fire them. You can hire them and you can get second opinions because it is ultimately in our hands. And I think if we make the assumption of not being fully responsible for that and giving that to a doctor, often we're going to be disappointed at the results, which is kind of what you were saying there. We, the importance of a patient advocate and the importance of advocating for ourselves is tremendously important and tremendously valuable. So anyway, I get into that and that's kind of builds on the final principle in the book, the one I call the golden you principle. How can we unlock our own ability to heal, which is super powerful. I love that idea. Unlocking our own ability to heal. Now, listening to your body, listening to the power of your own intention, and then advocating for yourself are all key things. Thank you so much, Dr. Jeff Crippen, for joining me today. Really appreciate the conversation, and I look forward to having you on again so we can dig in more deeply to Timeless You. Awesome. Thank you so much. You got a book on the way to you, and I look forward to the conversation. Fantastic. What a treat. Now, I hope that you enjoyed today getting to know Dr. Jeff Crippen as much as I did. Now, I will include links to connect with Dr. Jeff and find his book, Timeless Youth, with show notes, as I always do. I'll also include links to that book, Sidelined, and that other podcast interview I conducted, and an earlier conversation with both Dr. Joseph Maroon, team neurosurgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and of course, the interview with Dr. Bill Harris, specifically on the Omega-3 Index. Visit orlonutrition.com for our complete blog, including features that you won't find anywhere else. And remember, if you're trying to jumpstart your health and you've never taken an omega-3 supplement, <sighs> or even if you have, there's no time like the present to get started, to re-engage, and start taking those omegas again. You can jump right over to orlonutrition.com and buy the Tested For You program subscription pack. You'll get an omega-3 index test with your first shipment so you can get your baseline wherever you are today. Then you'll get your second kit with your third shipment. This will mean you get a snapshot of your before and after. Not only is it a $100 value in addition to the everyday savings that you receive, but you will be getting the powerful omega-3s that your body needs to thrive. Remember to use the code NWC test at checkout, and you'll receive a bonus discount on your order. That's NWC test for the best price on that Tested by You program. If you have questions about what we covered or topics that you'd like us to dive more into in future episodes, please reach out via social channels, or you can always email me directly at hello at orlonutrition.com. As we close today's show, I hope that you'll raise a cup of your favorite beverage with me, as I say my closing words, here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or. 